Welcome to Beyond Bitcoin, a podcast about all things digital assets, the global communities they are creating, the generations that are using and investing in them, and the challenges faced by the nations that are seeking to regulate them. The content of this program is not to be taken as investment advice. The opinions expressed in the program by the host and the guests are their personal opinions only. Remember, feel free to subscribe and share with like-minded friends. My name is Derek Graham. I'm the CEO of Portal Asset Management, and my co-host is Nitin Gower, Managing Director of State Street Digital Assets. Good evening, good afternoon, good morning, as it is today. Welcome along to another episode of Beyond Bitcoin. My name is Derek Graham, and I'm here with my friend and colleague, as normal, Nitin Gower. Hey, Nitin, how are you? Hey, hey, Derek. And looks like you're traveling today. So we have reversed our roles. It's you on the road, and I'm, I'm sitting in the office. So where are you this week? I've reversed my hemispheres too, in fact. So, so I'm in Zurich this week, and it's been fascinating. I'll talk about that shortly. Zurich, Geneva, then London, and then down through Singapore. All obviously, you know, talking fund management and that sort of world and wrapped around digital assets. And, oh, it's a fascinating space. It's a very interesting time here. And of course, Switzerland is so sophisticated by comparison to many other countries relating to this digital asset area and the understanding of how it works. So yeah, happy to, to talk about that, keen to. But I wanted to give you a little bit of sort of perspective on the market. We often do this sort of market size and put some context around it. And, and, you know, the capitalization of the market hasn't changed a lot since we spoke last week. It's $1.11 trillion. But to put that into context, gold is sitting at $13.1 trillion at the moment, capitalization. So $1.1 trillion includes every token there is, including Bitcoin. Yeah. Bitcoin's price, as the last time I looked at it today, is 27929 ETH sitting at 1781 Quite a reasonable recovery considering it hit down in the low 2500s only a few days ago. It's interesting how this market's bouncing back in so many different ways, considering the attacks on it, so to speak, which we'll talk about a bit later on. There are 8,881 active tokens we've been speaking of, 340 of them are meme coins. 82% of the top capitalization is in just the top 30 tokens. So 82% of the entire value of this marketplace currently sits in the top 30 tokens. And we talked about this yeah. the other day, CFTC, which is Commodity Futures Trading Commission, has defined virtual currencies, or in other words, just simply cryptocurrencies, as we would correctly call them, as, as commodities. So that's 76% of the capitalization of the top 15 tokens are defined as commodities. And what we've been talking to the guys at you know, each one of these different banks here in, in Switzerland, mostly bank names that you will all know, is the fact that, you know, it's extraordinary that we're in the middle of this fantastic nation like Switzerland, America, Australia, that have got such great banking systems, but 18 of the top 20 countries that are using <clears throat> using cryptocurrency are all developing nations. So, it's amazing. <laughs> so in other words, it's not us that's desperate to use them. It's the developing nations that are desperate to use them. But of course, you know, the Swiss are quite aware of that. So... What's different to this time, because we come here each year, you know, with Portal Asset Management and the Portal Digital Fund and its various funds, is that last year we were meeting with family offices and the family offices were looking at how to deploy, how to invest and learning about the space. This year we have been meeting, well, virtually nonstop with banks. In other words, 
and and these are investment banks so so private banks you know wealth managers that sort of thing what they tend to have is they have what's called banking platforms where accredited funds once a great deal of due diligence is done is placed on these banking platforms ready for their global investors to be able to invest into them this wasn't even a topic a year ago and now we've met with our fifth bank and four out of the five of them want us to apply to have one of our funds the portal digital fund on the platform now this is great but why is this the case and each one of them are telling us you onboard funds on the platforms during bear markets so that they're ready for bull markets yeah. and that's the general view it's a matter of time before a bull market is occurring so that's that's kind of my takeaway so far from switzerland that's amazing yeah it's been really fascinating and so but there's a lot happening in the market so over to you Nitin. tell tell us what's happening out there no no i think so this is great and i've been actually saying this a lot that we need to stay, be prepared because these are cyclical elements that things that mm. go down for many reasons have to go up and there's a little bit of correction that happens and a few data points of just and you're absolutely right i think if you look at a few announcements lately of course the well talked the the most talked about is blackrock spot yeah. ETF application. Yeah. So you see someone like BlackRock, which has a, a massive track record of 5,500 some, some odd funds to just two denials. So it's, a, it's an amazing track record. And there's been conversation whether it's politically motivated or they want to make a statement by having a spot BTF, which means there's an, there's an implied interest yeah. from the world's largest asset manager in Bitcoin. Second thing, which is another data point, which is again large financial institutions getting showing and expressing an interest. Exactly what your observation has mm. been, Derek, in Switzerland, mm. is something called EDS markets. EDS market has been in, was announced earlier, but it'll be in, it'll be it'll be sort of offered. It'll open up today, which is an exchange backed by Citadel Securities, mm. uh, Fidelity Investment, and Charles Schwab, supposed to launch today in the U.S. So these are two very large sort of announcements that happened in despite all the challenges we've seen with SEC and CFTC in the entire alphabet soup of regulatory agencies that have made a stance against crypto. And suddenly you have now the not just the crypto industries, but the traditional financial institutions and the market participants of the ecosystem of financial services uh, sort of making the statement to say, hey, we need to take a back step back and understand this because we are behind this now. So I think your observations are spot on. And this bear market, bull market, I think we've been here for quite some time and there's been mm. a lot of corrections. But mm. there's a new metric, Derek, which is if you look at the Bitcoin and you know flowing into the wallets, and we've seen this post the SEC's sort of injunction against you know Coinbase and this the suit against Coinbase and and Binance, a lot of Crypto moved out of exchanges for many reasons. Yeah. There have been exchanges that actually have halted trading of many tokens, but particularly Bitcoin is flowing into wallets controlled by illiquid entities, the entities who are not known for spending Bitcoin per se, or, or network participants with little or no spending history, has been fastest in the last six months, uh, which to me indicates a few things, right? Indicates, and again, this Asia opened up, so Asia trading again has been in green, which has moved up Bitcoin about 2%. There's been a lot of, you know, from Hong Kong, Singapore, Southeast Asia, clarity in Europe. All these are positive things that are giving some shape to where this, but this Bitcoin news per se, 
to me was particularly interesting because whenever this happens historically, whether it's a halving event or whether it's a significant event, Bitcoin ecosystem, Bitcoin then begin to serve its purpose as store of value. So people are expecting Bitcoin value to go up, yeah. whether it's due to you know economic activities, whether it's inflation, whether it's geopolitical events that are happening around us, or simply the fact that now you have clarity and there are more consumers of Bitcoin and Bitcoin is seen as a value, you know, a store of value, as you may have indicated in your preamble, where suddenly now we've seen the consumption from most developing economies, not so much as from developed economy, because now it's all banking and financial institutions who've shown interest. But that to me does two things, increases utility, global adoption, much wider appreciation of what it has to offer as store of value. Of course, unit of account, and at some point, hopefully direct medium of exchange, but we're not there yet. But I think mm. those are a few of the nuggets which I found to be uh, in line with your conversations that, hey, we need to stay prepared for the bull market, which seems like it's around the corner. We simply have to get some more fundamentals right, some more regulatory clarity, and 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 we are there, I, I think. Mm. So, so as I understand it, this is the smallest amount of Bitcoin that's been on exchanges since the year 2018. So that's five years ago. So we really are tightening up on the amount of Bitcoin on exchanges. And one of the, the real signs of that is they're turning around and people are putting the cold wallets. They're hodling them, as the number plate on my car would show. They're hodling them. And so, so you know, this is another sign that, that, that you know, Bitcoin, which is really the entry to this space so often, virtually the index token in, until, until such stage altcoins get a, a run on again, is, is reducing in volume. Banks are talking about how to onboard these things. And a couple of the banks we talked to today had their own sort of Ethereum and ETF, sorry, Ethereum and Ether ETF equivalents just within their own banking community or their own yeah. client community so that their clients could, could get exposure to it. And so a lot of them are getting prepared and ready and learning a great deal about the space at an extraordinary rapid rate. And so we, we had an opportunity to sit down and talk to them about this sort of this confluence of these, these prime areas that we think are the movers moving forward, like the money revolution of, of the fact that, you know, we really are now transacting with currencies, particularly developed worlds around the place, financial revolution around decentralized finance and how that's been in play and stable now for some period of time, improving it since. But the most important one that is the aha moment to a lot of these guys is talking about Web 3.0 and artificial intelligence connected to DeFi and connected to payments of money and how, how the future is going to be seeing high-speed microtransactions occurring, often in things such as artificial intelligence driven, possibly, possibly utilizing currency that's nothing like we currently recognize now. And so the lovely thing about having that conversation with the banks is that they open their eyes. These are investment banks, remember. So they open their eyes and turn around and went, yeah, wow. So that's, that's, let's talk about the future of the technology rather than the price of the space. And everything changed when that happened. People started forgetting about price of the space and talked about the future of the technology. And it was intriguing how the room lifted when that occurred. People really do realize that that things like Web 3.0, operating peripheral devices such as you know phones, their their storage capability, their computational capability, getting paid for providing devices and services on Web 3.0 through microtransactions on on blockchain, 
is is kind of impressive, frankly. Yeah, it is. And I'll, I'll tell you, I looked at Glassnode data too prior to this call, Derek, and we've seen the this week alone, Bitcoin's, you know, what used to be a dormant supply hit all-time high of 15.2 million Bitcoin. And as you rightly pointed out, the, 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 the exchange balance has plunged to the lowest level. The market is still digesting this black rocks. There's two pieces of that coin is a hey, we don't really want someone like a biggest asset manager yes. coming in this space, which is meant to be democratic. It, it's meant to be, it's meant to democratize finance. It's it's really people's money. And when you start bringing these big players with a lot of resources, that sort of you know stymies the growth potential. But at the same time, this month alone, we've seen one million new Bitcoin addresses, unique addresses holding you know, Bitcoin per se. So I think it's still the dominant benchmark asset. I still yeah. spend some time looking at it. And to your point then becomes as, you know, the utility, the adoption, and as you rightly pointed out, is the role of financial institution in this space. And from what you described, Derek, it's a great thing that for once, banks are trying to understand the space. Usually yeah. it's financial instruments and financial products are uh, unnecessarily complicated. They have a language around them, even mm. though they may be simplistic in their offerings. But it's great to see for the first time that you have the financial institutions trying to understand this asset class, which you know is driven from many different fundamentals, whether it's technology fundamentals, whether it's economic fundamentals, whether it's common man's fundamentals of you know for the need of a stable currency, which is globally accepted. I think I see that as a, as a positive sign. And yes, there's a role of banks, but I would hate to see, you know, this opportunity being completely dominated by banks because then we'll be back to square one at some point. So it'll be, yes. it'll be interesting to see how that how this evolves. You know, evolves. yes, totally agree. It's very interesting. So 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 BlackRock, which which you know, which is so enormous, it's it, it's it's so powerful um, that I think everyone's sort of starting to nod their head, going, yeah, there'll probably be an ETF put in place because they've just got the <laughs> massive strength and political pull to make it happen. That will highly likely boost volume turnover and and acceptance and accessibility and and price of of Bitcoin. So there's kind of a positive aspect. We don't know that it'll affect price. It just makes logical sense it would. Yeah. That's all. It's it's highly likely to see that that will be a positive thing in the short term. But yes, you're right. You know, in this sort of world where you have independence, why wouldn't you want sort of this distributed right across the world without one sector? Being a major, you know, trader in it, and and so anyway, there'll always be two two schools of thought around capitalization or commercialization of this space, and that's one of them. But riddle me this, Nitin. This is a question. Riddle me this. The U.S. obviously with their choke point two point oh, and you you want to talk <laughs> about what's happening with with the, the venture capital aspect there, and I'm keen for you to do that. Why wouldn't they be actively creating a central bank digital currency? with with the sort of the conditions in it that really show the american view on open transactions you know uh, you know without overly yeah. being private orientated <clears throat> so that they compete on this global market to be the reserve currency rather than fight to try and shut the section down here in switzerland switzerland looking back towards america i'm scratching my head and going why aren't they really on the front foot here <laughs> am i missing something i, I think I no, missing I, something? 
I think you're spending way too much time in Switzerland. Like this should be the <laughs> ideal place where the whole world should behave like the Swiss do. And certainly their the perspective is a bit different. And what's interesting to talking about Europe, France, their AMF, which is Authorité yes. de Marche, which is the the market sort of authority of market authorities, said it'll support globally coordinated rules of DeFi protocols. So this is not just CBDC, which is just the digital manifestation of fiat. Mm. They want to fully understand DeFi. You mm. have Project Guardian in Singapore, which mm-hmm. is which has the second phase and third phase, and, and Singapore is way ahead in understanding to say how can we use this protocol in a meaningful way with transparency and everything else. And then you have the U.S. and I've had this conversation again with some of the central bankers in just being technically curious. And of course, U.S. is launching Fed now, which is the real-time payment system. And the question always goes back to and change is hard. And I I firmly believe that, especially for successful companies, successful countries. When they reach a certain level, I think they like to enjoy that 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 position. Yes. Whether it's individuals or companies or, or you know countries, yeah. and yeah. they would like to. And so change for them is hard. And in many cases, the systems that we've devised and designed over time, every clearing and settlement has to come back to the U.S. bank, so we have complete visibility of these systems. And when you tokenize an asset and you get into peer peer models, that visibility becomes a challenge, especially around privacy preservation focus that the West has on central bank digital currencies per se. So while the Federal Reserve banking system, and there are 12 of them in the US, is focused on real-time payment because we are one of the last countries in the world adopting the RTP system, a real-time payment system, the question always comes to, hey, the system works well. We are able to move money in real time. So why do you need to change that? And my sort of discussion point there was that all this is great until we begin to start looking into Web 3.0 imperatives, which is yes. my ability to own data, my ability to monetize my 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 identity. And at that point, the real-time payment system falls short only mm. because the ability for me to engage in atomic swaps or atomic atomicity for transaction simply falls through at that point. And I can't rely on a financial intermediary because the entire premise of Web3O is for me to be able to own my data. And, and my argument there was that, yes, the existing web has also changed our financial system the ability for us to use cards and use wires and be able to you know, send financial instructions that I no longer have to go to a branch. I can do it from my house, mm. which is what Gary Gensler has talked about as digital dollars. Digital money. It's certainly not yeah. digital dollars, <laughs> digital money. It's just instructions and we're just moving instructions. And you have brought that instruction from banking to my screen. And the question then becomes, so it's an interesting debate. And my interesting thing in all this is, while the entire world is looking to saying, Let's support the DeFi rules. Let's not stymie innovation. We in the US suddenly now, and which in this Coinbase and Binance lawsuit that SEC has imposed, and and some is, some of it is right because there were some wrongdoings. Again, in absence of rules, we don't know what's right, what's wrong. But the question is, there's a little known, unknown rule with venture capitalists, and which has gone amiss, but it's significant. And we've seen impact of some of that stuff. And as VC community begins to digest this, and we've seen one of the biggest A16Z, the VC firm from the US move to, you know, not move, but open office in London, mm-hmm. is if you, if you look at VC business in general, right? A venture capitalist invests in a software firm and the payout may be 10 years because you have to make the initial investment and the company has to grow. They have to have marketable products. So they need to have a product that can that is needed and it has marketability and there's massive amount of failures. So the entire cycle from investment to reaping the rewards of that investment is typically used to be about 10 years. Mm-hmm. 
that suddenly the only path was either merger and acquisition or IPO. Mm. You have initial public offering. And at that point, the VCs could really cash in their chips to say, hey, we took the risk for 10 years. I'm going to get 100x, 200x, 1000x, you know, especially in the likes of Facebook and Google returns. But you had to wait for 10 years. Mm. Now, in crypto land or the token-based projects, that cycle, and I actually spent a lot of time studying this too, it's shrunk to like less than a year or two years where I could have an amazing project. I could have a token for the project. Yeah. And when I go list that token to an, on an exchange, suddenly now it's like an IPO equivalent of that yeah. offering. And secondary it gives via secondary markets, it gives a VC an avenue to cash in their investments because the risks they've taken in secondary markets. And so that has been happening for quite some time. And that's become quite lucrative because time value of money, that no one has to wait for 10 years, you're not diluting your value, you st- you, if you have a good idea and it really floats and there's enough market need for it. And there's, there's something to be said about that, again, the shift from digital transformation, transforming digital, we are truly going from digital fundraising to digital distribution of, of equities in form of tokens and eventually, and, and yes, in some of them, in some context is security where we can get to that discussion point later. Where SEC has passed ruling is, which affects SEC, which affects VCs quite a bit because the entire business of VCs is to take risks. Their whole model is let me bet on hundred companies. And if one mm. of them does well, it pays for all, all the remaining 99 bad bets mm. is they're requiring the VCs to sort of, you know, use a qualified custodian for these tokens. Uh, so you can imagine the complexity Ooh. in that rulemaking process to say, hey, I'm going to get these tokens. We don't know where these tokens are going to go, which used to be paper-based agreements. Now they're tokenized forms that if they're listed secondary market, I can cash it in. But imagine a VC going to a qualified custodian and say, hey, I have this token of an unknown company that no one really knows today. They may do well or they may die, but I need to keep this token safe for me as a qualified custodian for safeguarding those cryptos. And that rulemaking didn't really gel well with the theme and yeah. the thinking and the complexity and the cost structure of it. Uh, and VCs are not considered qualified custodians. So their holding of tokens would run afoul of the new rules if they begin to hold tokens on behalf of the investors yeah. or LPs who are part of it. So it's like a little lopsided, like completely, you know, I think it's a very hastily passed or hastily proposed rule that they need to think about the investment landscape. So it, it, that, that to me was super interesting. So, so in the US, what the SEC is defining as qualified custodians, is not what we were thinking qualified custodians were or along the period of time. It's not necessarily, it's not necessarily Gemini and Copper and, and, and you know, other custodians that already exist now. They're starting to sort of merge this world of, you know, banking overlapping custodians, aren't they? It's it's not as clear as it was before. Specialist high tech custodians now they're putting institutional custodians in, which is not making it faultlessly seamless to have these supposed qualifying custodians. So, in keeping with how murky the water is around what the SEC is doing, this is not giving any clarity of regulations, and I can't see that it's actually intending to help or support. Cynically, at the moment, I think that's another attack on on the, this world. 
Yeah, no, and the the traditional element of qualified custodian is this, right? That you know, and and I do work for one, and and so there's a market infrastructure. You have roles you play, and you have to keep an asset with a third party so you can vouch for them. So we don't have, again, the system is the system that's devised has come over hundreds of years of learnings that is broken, fragmented, whatever you more you, you call it. But there's a separation between the various entities, so which prevents from any single entity to collude. So it's an ultimate distributed system, if I can use that term, yeah. that everybody has different roles to play. And qualified custodian has certain roles. They have to have fiduciary responsibility, which means they have to make sure that they're not you know, messing and they have potential treatment of asset, that they have to be prudent with your asset. They have to make sure that they have enough balances, that if things go wrong or somebody makes a mistake, then there are enough capital. So the capital adequacy and capital requirement for running a qualified custodian and the licensure mm-hmm. that's needed for it is quite mm-hmm. an involved process, Derek. And and mm-hmm. you're right, just because you're able to keep the keys, you're custodying the keys, but you're custodying an asset. But the traditional definition of qualified custodian is quite uh, extensive, both in terms of process, but also in terms of license and mm-hmm. cost, that you have mm-hmm. to maintain this massive infrastructure to do these things, mm-hmm. which to me is a mess. Like a, a VC would never want to go become a qualified custodian because that's not their business. Yes. So it didn't make sense to to go and 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 I also think that, I think where SEC is amiss in this is it's a brave new world. The conventions don't apply. So if you're expecting a newer entity to generate tokens and they're expecting to go live in two years because the technology lets them do it, a viable product, viable value proposition, for them to go down the IPO route, which is expensive and archaic and time consuming, they have a better path. Why not take the better path? Yeah. And so that's something which should be understood. And we need to have guardrails, but applying the same old rules simply don't make sense because technology yeah. changes things, we, how we do things. Absolutely. And and this is why it's interesting with MICA where they've, we've, they've established some of the regulations based upon the existing financial regulations. What is not covered, they're building on top of the existing financial regulations. And and they're, they're then saying, well, there's a platform too. So when DeFi comes along and other things, well, DeFi is there already, but when, when the realization that there needs to be expansion regulations, that there's a foundation in place already positive attitude, good intent. And that's what we'd yeah. like to see with these things. Um, Nitin, Geneva tomorrow and London early next week. So look at you, still interesting to still interesting people to meet and and feedback. So I'll keep my finger on the pulse to see what the sense of feeling is out there. Report back on Tuesday next week for the Thursday That's fantastic. Show. Yeah. And I, one thing I like about our, our travels, Derek, and we compliment, like when I travel, you travel, we bring hopefully to our audience and I, hopefully, I hope the audience appreciate it, the world perspective. You yeah, know, we yeah. all go in different parts of the world, whether it's Philippines or Singapore or in, this week in Switzerland and what's happening in the US. And I think it's important for us to have the global perspective because this is truly a global phenomenon. It's a global yes. currency. So uh, appreciate your insights, Derek, and travel safe. And we'll we'll chat next Tuesday. Good on you, Nit, and we'll see you then. Bye for now. Take care. Bye. We hope you enjoyed our weekly conversation. If you have any questions, comments, or suggested topics, please contact Nit and Gower or myself on the emails displayed here or via our LinkedIn profiles. Feel free to subscribe and share with like-minded friends. Stay well, inquisitive and engaged. See you next week.